We are in the middle of a sermon series on prayer, and we are currently studying the way Jesus taught His disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6. But here are four biblical truths about prayer that we have considered so far. Number one, through Jesus and with the Holy Spirit, we have access to God in prayer. Without Jesus mediating and the Holy Spirit helping, it would be impossible for sinners to peacefully connect to a holy God. Number two, prayer is conversation with God. Where we approach God and speak to God in response to what God has spoken to us in His Holy Word. Number three, prayer should be sincere. It ought to be motivated by a desire to encounter God and never a desire to please others. Jesus warned against that kind of hypocritical insincerity in Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6. And then number four, God is not impressed or moved to action by the sophistication or length of your prayers. God does not hear people based on how they pray. God hears people based on who they are. God is a Father bending down to listen to His beloved children. And so it's no wonder, as Jesus teaches us what to pray, His model prayer begins with Father in Heaven. As Matthew Henry said, Before we come to our business, there must be a solemn address to Him with whom our business lies. And so today, as we study Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we will learn how to start our prayers. Dear God, Heavenly Father, King Jesus, how should we begin our prayers? And what should we pray for first? The Bible speaks to this. So we will learn how to start our prayers by considering three things in the text about the One to whom we pray. Number one, who He is. Number two, where He is. And number three, what He is deserves. In this one verse of Matthew chapter 6, we will consider those three things about the One to whom we pray. Who He is, where He is, and what He deserves. So with that, whenever and wherever you are, please bow your heads with me as I begin with prayer. Father in Heaven, We thank You now for the opportunity to read and study Your Word. Help us to understand it. And help us to apply it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you were listening closely, I spoiled the suspense regarding how we should begin our prayers. If you haven't already, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 6 through verse 9. This is the Word of God. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And here's today's text. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. So let's begin with the first part of this sermon. We're reminded here who He is we are praying to. He is our Father. Do you see the word then at the beginning of verse 9? That means that the following prayer is an expression of the understanding of God's fatherly care in verse 8. That's how the commentator Michael Green puts it. Because God is a Father who knows what we need before we ask Him. That's what we learned in verse 8. Because God is our Father who knows what we need before we even ask Him, we should begin our prayers with our Father. Our. Remember, God is not only my Father, He is our Father. God is Father to all Christians, but not all people. It is a common misconception that all people are children of God. But that's not true. That is a special right to be children of God. We're told in John chapter 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Well, that begs the question. If not all people are children of God, if not all people have this right to approach God and to speak to God, why us? Why do we have this right? If this is not a family or a relationship that we have been born into and it is not, then how did we become children of God? To where we could call God our Father? The answer is adoption. Let me show you this by walking through four Scriptures. And the first is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. God predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Before we were born... God decided to adopt us. But there's a problem. You and I are born 
sinners all the way back to our greatest grandfather, Adam. We are His children. He became a sinner, and each of us, we are born sinners. And so the Bible says about us, actually, and brace yourself, that because we sin, we are not children of God, we are children of the devil. So that is a problem. In order for us to be adopted by God, we need to be redeemed. The devil's rights over us have to be terminated. We have to be forgiven by God and made righteous. And the Gospel teaches us that this is what Jesus has done so that God the Father could adopt us and welcome us into His family. That's what we're told in our next verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then the next verse, Galatians 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, because you are sons and daughters of God, we've been adopted by Him, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That means that once God has adopted you, God sends the Holy Spirit to tell you that God has adopted you. To reassure you that God has adopted you. So, you've been adopted, but how do you know? How do you know that you have been adopted by God? Is it the voice of a judge? Is it the sound of a gavel? Is it paperwork? Is it some sort of certificate that you can see? No. You know that you have been adopted by God the Father because the Holy Spirit reassures you. The Holy Spirit within you, Galatians 4, cries out, Father! And then, you, assured of your adoption, you cry out in confidence with the very same word, Father. And we're told that in Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. This isn't the Holy Spirit crying now. This is by now we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so, now understandably, when Jesus comes and He teaches us how to pray, He teaches us to approach God and to speak to God as Father. Not as King, though He is King. 
Not as ruler, though He is ruler. Not as judge, though God is our judge. Not as friend, but Jesus teaches us to approach and speak to God in prayer as Father. Now slow down and consider this. God is your Father. I know that for some of you, because fatherlessness is so rampant today, this idea of God as Father is not comforting. Maybe you didn't have a father. Or maybe you had a biological father, but he was not a father. He didn't function as one. And love you unconditionally as one. And care for you as one. And teach you as one. And train you as one. And so this is not comforting for you to think of God as Father. If your earthly father was or is not a good father, then understand now that God is not like that. God is the prototype Father, not your earthly father. God is the perfect father. God is the ideal father. God is the standard as father. And if you are a Christian, an adopted son or daughter of God, he is your father. A good verse. A good verse for you to remember, maybe even memorize, would be Psalm 2710. For those of you who have not had good earthly fathers, you're not the first. It is a problem as old as Adam. And Psalm 27.10 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. God is different. God is good. He is our perfect Father. So God is our Father. And that is how we should address Him when we pray. To help us get our mindset right, let me offer three quick implications of God as our Father. Number one, God the Father loves you. John 16.27 For the Father Himself loves you. How much? How much does God the Father love you? Well, He loves you like He loves Jesus. You heard me right. If you want to know how much God loves you, read the Bible and see how much God the Father loves His own Son, Jesus. We're told in John 17.23 where Jesus is praying and He prays that they, that is Christians, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, that is Christians, even as you loved me. God the Father loves you. You belong to God as His child. And so your relationship to Him, it depends not on your performance, but on your position in the family. It depends on fatherly love. Second, God the Father has compassion for you. 
God's the Father's heart goes out to you. Because He is your Father and you are His child. Psalm 103.13 As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. And the third implication of God as your Father is that God the Father knows best and will always do what's best for you. Luke 12.32 Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Romans 8.28 We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. So God is our Father who loves us and shows compassion to us. And knows what is best for us. And always does what is best for us. Understanding this, Matthew Henry wrote in his book on prayer, it is an encouragement that we come to God, not as an unreconciled avenging judge, but as a loving, gracious, reconciled Father in Christ. Now here's a question as it relates to this text. When do we experience God's fatherly love for us? And one great answer to that question is in prayer. In prayer, we encounter God and experience His fatherly love for us. We may come to know of God's fatherly love when we read the Bible. But then we come to experience His reassuring love and compassion when we approach Him in prayer. Isn't it the same for my children? They don't experience my love for them by reading it in a note. Though I write notes to my kids. They may, when reading that dad loves them, learn of my love for them. But that's not an experience of my love for them. No. They experience my love when we talk. Or when I throw them a football. Or when I push them on a swing. Or pick them up, or tie their fish hook, or swim with them, or watch scary movies with them. When I spend time with them, that is when they experience their Father's love. They experience my love when they are with me. So, how will you experience the fatherly love of God if you are never with Him in prayer. That's our first section that addressed who He is. He is our Father. And so Jesus tells us, when we pray, pray, Father in Heaven. Or Heavenly Father. 
There are other ways to address God in prayer. And I'm sure you've heard people address God in other ways or pray directly to Jesus or pray directly to the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot that could be said about all that. But let's just take note that when Jesus is teaching us to pray, He teaches us to pray, Our Father in Heaven. So let's move on to the second part. Where He is. And the answer is, in Heaven. And so, Jesus tells us to pray, Our Father in Heaven. Now, Heaven is not the only place where God is. God is not confined to heaven. There is a sense in which God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. He is certainly here with us through His Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, God the Father is in heaven. And when the Bible teaches this, it doesn't so much mean a hidden place that is far off as it does the seat of His authority and rule. Let me say that again. When the Bible speaks of God in heaven, it's not so much talking about the place where God is as it is talking about heaven as the seat of His authority and His rule. It is His White House. It is His castle. It is literally His throne. Psalm 103.19 The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Or Psalm 33.13 The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. John Stott wrote, The words in the heavens denote not the place of His dwelling so much as the authority and power at His command as the Creator and Ruler of all things. So, if Father reminds us of the goodness of God, in heaven reminds us of the greatness of God. Father reminds us of the intimacy that we have with God. And in heaven, reminds us of His sovereignty, His power, His authority, His majesty. Here's how Leon Morris puts it in his commentary. We should not miss the balance in this opening to the prayer. We address God intimately as Father but we immediately recognize His infinite greatness with the addition in heaven. And so Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. So God is our Father. And He is in heaven. And now finally, that brings us to the third and final part of this sermon. What He deserves. 
We've considered who He is and where He is. And now third, what He deserves. So let's finish out this opening to this prayer. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. I don't know when the last time was that you used the word hallowed, but it's been a while for me. That is a word that we seldom use. So let me translate what this opening petition is saying. Father in heaven, may your name be great. May all creation, including me, may all creation give you what you deserve. All praise, all Glory, all worship, all adoration, all gratitude. His name is to be hallowed, one commentator writes. That is to say, we long for His name or character to have top place in the world and in people's hearts. What a marvelous note of adoration with which to begin a time of prayer. So catch this. This is from Jesus. And I think it's very practical. It is good for us to begin our prayers this way. I'm not saying, because I don't think the Bible is saying this is the only way to begin your prayers. It's not an exclusive statement like that. But clearly, we can deduce from this that it is good to begin our prayers in this way. And that is by praising God the Father. It is a good thing, and it is what Jesus prescribes for Christians to begin any and all prayers praising God. Do your prayers begin like this? In the morning, in the evening, at the dinner table, before a meal, throughout the day. Do your prayers begin with praise or do you get straight to your list? You have a list, I have a list. Maybe it's written down, maybe it's not. But it's God help me with this and help me with that. I've noticed that I divide time and prayer up in the morning and fairly early in the morning I'll lay out my task list for the day I'll look at any appointments or meetings that I have and get everything that I have to try and accomplish in the day and then I will go through my list and that generates my list and a lot of it is God help me do this give me wisdom here. Give me strength here. Help me to be efficient with my time. And then there's all the other prayers that I'm praying every day for my church family and for the salvation of my kids and unsaved extended family and on and on and on. And you have the same thing that you do. You've got a list. But before you get to your list, do you praise God? Do you adore God? Do you thank God? 
I think we could agree that there are basically three parts to prayer or three ways to pray. And let me go through each of them. There is upward prayer. There is upward prayer that consists of adoration, that consists of praise and thanksgiving. It is praising God for who He is and what He has done. There is inward prayer that self-examines and confesses sin. And there is outward prayer that looks for help from God for ourselves and for others. I've always taught my kids to basically pray three things. Thank you. I'm sorry. And please help. And we get to all of that in our prayers, don't we? The upward, the inward, the outward. The asking God for help or the crying out to God for help. The confessing sin and asking for forgiveness. And the praising God and the adoring God. Well, out of all of those things that we get to in prayer, I would say, based on the primacy of it in this text and elsewhere, that praise is most important. The most important prayers that you pray are prayers of praise. Remember, prayer is conversation with God. You're approaching God and speaking to Him. What is the most important thing that you do and communicate in that time? And I believe it is praise. Praise should be emphasized. I believe that Jesus here teaches that this is how our prayers should even begin. Again, the great Matthew Henry. We must begin our prayers with praising God. And it is very fit He should be first served. And that we should give glory to God before we expect to receive mercy and grace from Him. Think about it. You and I were made to praise God. And we will be praising God forever. There are other things that we do in prayer that we will not be doing forever. But praising God will never ever end. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You and I, we have been made to praise God. When you praise God in your prayer, you are doing what God has made you to do. And it is satisfying. It brings joy. It brings contentment to do what we are made to do. And so we praise God for who He is. And we thank God for what He's done. Which means we need to be reading the Word. And learning who God is. And learning what He has done for us. And we turn it into praise. As well, I've found that praising God, it gets my focus and my perspective right. My perspective is riding a mechanical bull and it is constantly getting thrown off. I don't know about you but I often lose perspective. And it is praising God 
that brings me back. And I cannot overestimate how important this is in times such as these. Facing the difficulty and trouble and uncertainty that we are, it becomes even more important for us to continually reshift our focus and perspective. And it is adoring God, it is praising Him that can help us accomplish that. My personal practice is to not only begin my prayers with praise, but to begin my days with praise. And it helps to start me right. I want the very first mental words of my day to be, thank you, God. And I begin to think about the night before. And I begin to think about the day before. And I begin to think about the day ahead. And I begin to think about the blessings that are being given to me. And I begin to think about God's good gifts. And I begin to think about God Himself. And try and discipline myself to begin each day in praise. And not only that, praising God first in prayer will put the rest of your prayer into perspective. Here's what I mean by that. As I confess sin, because I have adored God, I remember that God is merciful. It brings my confession into perspective. As I cry out for help, because I have praised God, I remember that God is able. So you see, as I praise God and remember His grace and remember His mercy, the road is paved to confess my sin. As I praise God and remember His greatness and His sovereignty and His total control over all things and His power and majesty, the road is paved for me to cry out to Him for help. And so it is good and puts the rest of my prayer even in perspective to begin as Jesus tells me to with praising God. God, hallowed be Your name. May Your name be great. May You get all the glory and praise and adoration that You deserve. But of course, these are all personal benefits. The most important reason that we begin our prayers with praise is because praise is what He deserves. So as we consider the One to whom we pray, this is who He is. This is where He is. And this is what He deserves according to Jesus. In conclusion, for those of you needing fuel for praise, I'd like to close with reading Psalm 135. And it is, as other psalms are, especially this and the ones following, it is a prayer devoted completely to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise to the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to His name, for it is pleasant. 
For the Lord has chosen Jacob for Himself, Israel as His own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, who struck down many nations and killed mighty king Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, He who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, You have given us so much to be thankful for. And it is endless what we could praise You for. So help us in times like these as we read Your Word to understand more of You, to know You more deeply, so that we would love You more deeply and honor You and glorify You with our lives. It is what You have made us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.